to New World next week. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com. And I'm James Evan Pilato from MediaMonarchy.com. Don't stand so close, deadbeats. We've got that story. Plus, Big Pharma can't dodge a big lawsuit. But first, Kennedy and King families call for Congress to reopen assassination probes. This happened on the occasion of Martin Luther King Jr. Day, which we just observed here in the States on the 21st this past week. A group of over 60 prominent American citizens calling upon Congress to reopen the investigations into the assassinations of... President John F. Kennedy, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King Jr., and Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Signers of the joint statement include Isaac Newton Ferris Jr., nephew of Reverend King and past president of the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, Reverend James N. Lawson Jr., close collaborator of Reverend King, and, of course, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Kathleen Kennedy Townsend, children of the late senator. Other interesting signatories include G. Robert Blakely, Blakey, rather, chief counsel of the House Select Committee on Assassinations, which determined in 1979 that President Kennedy was the victim of a probable conspiracy. There's also Dr. Robert McClelland, one of the surgeons at Parkland in Dallas, who tried to save Kennedy's life and saw clear evidence he had been struck by bullets from the front and the rear. Daniel Ellsberg, Pentagon Papers whistleblower, served as national security advisor to the Kennedy White House. And Richard Falk, someone who, James, as I've been digging back through my Media Monarchy archives, has popped up in the archives as someone who has been on the side of 9-11 Truth as well. Richard Falk, Professor Emeritus of International Law at Princeton, leading global authority on human rights. And then also there's folks like... Alec Baldwin and Martin Sheen and Rob Reiner and Oliver Stone and political satirist Mort Saul and even Laurel Canyon musician David Crosby. Declaration also signed by numerous historians, journalists, lawyers, and other experts on the four major 60s assassinations. The joint statement calls for Congress to establish firm oversight on the release of all government documents related to the Kennedy presidency and assassination as mandated by the JFK Records Collection Act of 1992, this public transparency law routinely defied by the CIA and other agencies. And as we reported for you right here on New World Next Week, the Trump White House has allowed the CIA to continue its defiance of the law, even though the JFK Records Act called for the full release of relevant documents in 2017, which would have happened had not Trump actually intervened. So his intervention prevented us from getting more JFK files. James? Yes, um, but trust the plan, guys. I'm sure there's a good reason for it, right? Uh, yeah, so this is 50 years too little too late, right? Half a century late, don't you think? I mean, okay, great, all these prominent people signed up to it, but the fact that the King and the Kennedy families are finally coming out into the open to say this. I mean, in the King family defense, they've been helping Pepper uh, and in his investigation for quite a while. But, but uh, the Kennedy family, I get it. You know, you see members of your family get their heads blown off. You tend to, you know, get the message and shut up. But that's exactly what got us into all of this mess in the first place. The time to have spoken out most vociferously was in the immediate wake of what happened. And certainly in the immediate wake of the Warren Commission cover up. When that cover up happened, that should have been the time to go all out. This is a cover up. That's the time to strike. 9-11 Truth, the time to strike was 2001, 2002, 2003. That was the prime opportunity to achieve something like 9-11 justice. 20 years later, less and less opportunity to do so. So, again, the, the iron, when the strike when the iron is hot and, hey, at least they're doing something. Although, you've got to put the big question mark around some of the names on the list, like Daniel Ellsberg. And for people who don't know... 
please go into my archives. I did an interview with Douglas Valentine on Daniel Ellsberg and the CIA that raises some interesting questions about this famed whistleblower who's all above reproach, right? Well, maybe not. So please go into the archives for more on that. But while we're speaking about open letters and famed civil rights leaders from the 60s era, how about the open letter in support of Dr. Angela Y. Davis and Palestine Solidarity? Uh, for people who don't know, Dr. Angela Davis was set to receive the Fred L. Shuttleworth Human Rights Award from the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. Um, but they canceled when there was a lot of protest from the Jewish community in Birmingham about Angela Davis' support for BDS, Boycott Divestment Sanctions of Israel. Oh, it's anti-Semitic. Oh, you can't be giving a, a, a civil rights award to this horrible person. Now there's a, a an open letter to the uh, basically addressed to the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute signed by 350 or so prominent activists and leaders saying this is uh, this is a disgrace. You shouldn't be dishonoring her in this way um, because of her support for Palestine. Um, that is a good thing and is part and parcel of the vision of people like MLK and others who were campaigning for civil rights in the 60s, of course, he would have extended that to Palestinians living under Israeli uh, occupation. So now there's a huge schism coming uh, because of this. And it's very interesting that this issue is exploding around um, around MLK Day and all of this uh, celebration of this history. And now there's a fight for that legacy that's going on. So I'll direct people's attention to that if they haven't seen it. Once again, Angela Davis, Palestine, Solidarity.com. I'll put the link in the show notes so people can check it out for themselves. But an interesting issue that's coming up around the same time as this. I have reported on my morning show both fake sides of Congress, the fake left and the fake right, the House of Representatives and the Senate, both of their individual first pieces of legislation in this important new legislative session, both of their first pieces of legislation are about protecting Israel, about banning speaking out or supporting BDS. James, I think back to the JFK, MLK story. For me, I think in talking about these kind of topics, maybe when you're talking with folks who might not be that into it, for me, I think the same thing I used to say about the 9-11 commission. Well, if the commissioners themselves don't believe it and rattle off the names of the people who had quit and what they had referred to it as, why, why should you believe it? Same thing with the assassinations. None of the family members believe it. Why on earth should you believe it? Our second story this week on New World Next Week, episode 364, James. It's kind of a two-parter. You, you sent me your link, and I actually had my own link. As we continue to chart the brave new world order, Hebei Court unveils program to expose deadbeat debtors. Deadbeat debtors in North China's Hebei province will find it more difficult to abscond as the Higher People's Court of Hebei on Monday introduced a mini-program on WeChat targeting them. Called a map of deadbeat debtors, the program allows users to find out whether there are any debtors within 500 meters of you. The debtors' information available to check in the program, making it easier for people to whistleblow on debtors capable of paying their debts. It's part of our measures to enforce our rulings and create a socially credible environment, said a spokesman of the court. And then the version I have on my own morning show, WeChat program shows when people on credit blacklist are near you. Wondering if anyone bad with money is around you right now? China has a WeChat mini program just for that. Deadbeat Map, that's apparently what they're calling it. It's, it's capitalized, so it's got to be the title. Deadbeat Map 
pretty much does what it says. It reveals the location of laolai, L-A-O-L-A-I, a word used by authorities to refer to people who fail to repay their debts and are put on a social credit blacklist. Open the mini program, and we have some of those photos, and again, everything we say will always be included in the show notes. Open the mini program, and you'll see where these people are if they're within 500 meters of your location, though for now it only works in the capital of the Hebei province. It might seem like a violation of privacy, but in China it's pretty normal. The country began publicly naming and shaming deadbeats last year under its social credit system. James, hopefully, when I, you know, I sang a little bit of the, the police there at the top of the episode. Hopefully that doesn't get us you know, a flag here on YouTube. <laughs> One can only hope. Well, uh, yeah, this is just another signpost along the path that we are clearly headed down right now. And all we are doing at this point is putting the signposts in the road so that when it comes, people will know. We've been talking about this for years. We know where this is heading. And you're making the choice right now whether you're going to start stepping into this future or not. Hey, here's an easy way to avoid this type of Orwellian uh, society where everybody's tracking you and, oh, is there a deadbeat near me? How about you don't put the tracking device in your pocket? Huh? <laughs> oh, wait, no, but, uh, but I need my little tracking device. If we, we are making the choice right now to step into this or to step away from it, and it is becoming a matter of life and death, and we can see where this is going, because pretty soon they're going to gamify the system where, hey, you'll earn some extra social credit if you nab one of these guys, right? I mean, it's just, it's going to be a a system where they gamify it so that you can get ahead if you rat on your fellow citizens and if you help nab someone and if you stop stop thought crime or whatever it is and they just lead you along that system so we can see it rolling out in china and we already know the various ways that it's rolling out at home so we're making the choice and it's a question of what you choose to put in your pocket at this point and there are all the folks working for Alphabet Incorporated. They're, they're signing petitions, too, with their feeble attempts of, oh, please don't work with China. But you know that they will and that they have been already, I think. for And the for U.S. government, perhaps more importantly. There you go. James, our third and final story here on New World Next Week is a pretty sad and gnarly excuse for good news, but we will take it. Johns Hopkins and Bristol Myers face a $1 billion lawsuit for infecting Guatemalan hookers with syphilis. We grabbed this story via Zero Hedge, but it's on Reuters and it's on Gizmodo as well. A federal judge in Maryland said Johns Hopkins University, pharmaceutical company Bristol Myers Squibb, and the Rockefeller Foundation must face... This really buried the lead there. Their name didn't get in the headline? Bristol-Myers Squibb, Johns Hopkins, and the Rockefeller Foundation must face a billion-dollar lawsuit over their roles in a top-secret program in the 1940s ran by the U.S. government that injected hundreds of Guatemalans with syphilis. Several doctors from Hopkins and the Rockefeller Foundation were involved in the government program, as well as four executives from Bristol-Myers' predecessors. It was called Bristol Laboratories and the Squibb Institute. The overall purpose of the study, this is a quote, was to test out whether antibiotics could be used to prevent syphilis or other sexually transmitted infections before its symptoms appeared in someone who was exposed to them. So the researchers initially recruited sex workers with syphilis to have sex with prisoners. Later on, they directly infected volunteers without their informed consent or knowledge of what was really happening. In many cases, though, infected people were left untreated. In total, 83 deaths linked to the study, though it's not entirely certain whether the infections were the direct cause. In a January 3rd decision, U.S. District Judge Theodore Schwang 
deny the defendant's argument that a recent Supreme Court decision shielding foreign businesses from lawsuits in U.S. courts over human rights abuses abroad also apply to domestic firms absent congressional authorization. Chuang's decision, big victory for the 444 victims who were all pretty much dead anyway. At least their relatives, though. They are the ones suing over the experiment. It was concealed until a professor at Wellesley in Massachusetts discovered the files in 2010. And James, we've talked about these stories before, and every now and then you'll see maybe Bill Clinton roll out and go, oh gosh, I feel your pain. So sorry we infected all those people with syphilis. And they apologize, and, and states all around America have done these sort of quiet kind of recompense things where, oh, sorry for all those eugenics experiments we pulled off on you. Here it is again, James. Yes, and not only have we talked about this type of story before, but we've talked about this story before. I had a hunch as soon as I saw this. I'm like, we've covered this before. And boy, was I right. We first talked about it in March 2011 in Experiments Exposed. And then in uh, January 2012, we followed up with a related article uh, uh, about U.S. argues it is immune from Guatemalan STD experiment lawsuit. And then uh, in April of 2015, we mentioned it in a story about John Hopkins faces $1 billion class lawsuit over knowingly infecting Guatemalans with STDs. And then we had another flashback to the original October 2010 admission of all of this in a story that we covered in 2007, November of 2017, about vaccine company caught illegally injecting people at hotels with herpes. So, yeah, we have covered not only this type of story, but this story in particular for seven years, eight years now. So, uh, yes, this uh, this is one hell of a story. And again, yeah, this isn't this isn't necessarily good news. Uh, if I get injected with syphilis in some secret experiment, you know, oh, well, my you know, maybe my children will receive some money later on after I die is not exactly consolation, is it? Um, and the fact that no one who is actually involved in these experiments is it going to I mean, they're all dead and gone anyway, so no one's really going to suffer from this. No one's going to have justice um, uh, uh, conveyed to them through any sort of court process. Uh, and what's going on today that we don't know about? Well, maybe we'll find about, out about it in 50 years and maybe there will be another lawsuit and settlement um, based on the profits that they've made in the meantime. So. Again, this is not necessarily a happy story in any sense, but um, the wheels of injustice just keep on turning. That's yeah, that's it. I mean, I thought you even said a 2010 date in there that you were kind of rattling off. That would be nearly nine years of, of this story that we've covered here on New World Next Week. I guess I would look at it hopefully as good news in a way if I may appropriately quote Jim Garrison. Let justice be done, though the heavens fall, that it just all comes out and all their names and the Rockefeller Foundation and Big Pharma all gets dragged through the mud and they essentially are thought of in the same ways that we think of Monsanto and Bayer in this very day. Of course, they're all connected. James, I think what passes for actual good news is my latest episode of Good News Next Week, Open Source Plans for the Grow Room. That episode is up for Media Monarchy members only. I always give that to those folks first, and then it goes out public for everybody. As I always like to mention, I stream news, music, memes, and more Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 Pacific Time at MediaMonarchy.com slash listen. James. All right. We're going to end it there. Uh, talk to you again next week. All right, buddy. Thanks. Take care.